Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. So as we have heard already good news, Lord, we are grateful. We ask that you would fill this space uh, with your very presence. May the love of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son and the leading of the Spirit be real in us here in this room, and then beyond. And Nick already reminded us what your intention is and what your heart is. We know that uh, your servant Paul in Romans 13 said that we should be praying for our leaders, people who are in positions of power, people who have great decisions to make. And many of us know dreamers, Many of us know people who are in um, vulnerable positions today. We recognize that this is a major, major political issue, and yet, uh, in the trenches, this is, this is about people who don't know what they're going to do. This is about people who do not have a home, no land to call of their own, who are in exile. We also know that as we think back into the biblical story, that you are one who hears the cry of those who have no place to go. We know that you are one that can see past the politics and the power plays. You are one that has total sovereignty and control over those who have great need. We know that as we read the biblical text, that you hear the cries of those who are in places of vulnerability, and when we even think about uh, the foundational story of the Jewish people, the Exodus, you went about the business of creating a plan, and your plan was a salvation plan, not just for a group of people, although it was, but in your plan, you worked out the ability by which all people might be saved. We pray that you would take the issue related to DACA and the fear of the dreamers and that you would go to work in such a way that you would work in and through and around the politics and you would go up and above and over and within and you would do a good work by which not just these can be saved but the entire world might see you through this event so that salvation can come to us all. You have done it in the past. You can do it again. You are not smaller than this issue. You are greater than it. You are not smaller than the people in charge. You can give great wisdom to them. You are not smaller than us or our fears, but you can, in your loving way, lead us in your way. Many in this room don't have to worry. Some in this room do. 
We pray that we would stand in solidarity with one another and we would constantly be asking the question, what does it mean to be the very best neighbor that we can? And then we pray that you would guide us so that we would know how to do that. This is what we hope for. And this is what we pray together. We find that you are amazing because the text that we are about to look into right now calls us to be unified even though we are quite diverse. We planned this text a very long time ago, but you are about getting into our real lives. So we pray that you would reveal yourself and that we would respond well. This is what our prayer is. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen and amen. I have some friends who have Bibles and a friend who's going to help me preach today. I would invite you to uh, turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be starting with verse 20, and we are going to be reading through uh, chapter 4, verse 6. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of these will just hand you a Bible. You can borrow one, or if you don't own one, you can just keep it. All right? This is my friend Estella. She has four dogs. Six dogs. <laughs> Six dogs. I thought I knew about her, but every time I try to introduce her to somebody, I always get it wrong. Um, and uh, this is what I want you to know about her. She is really brilliant. She is so insightful. She has an anointing and a call upon her life that she tries to put off and say, no, that's Chris, that's not real. But I think that you will recognize here in just a few minutes the truth that I speak. So Estella will read, sorry, Stella will read uh, the text for us this evening. So I'd like to invite you to stand yeah. as we honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians 3.20 to chapter 4, 6. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and through all. This is the word of God. For the people of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. You may have a seat. Nice job. Thank you. So uh, the first three chapters of this letter speak uh, about a God who has saved our lives. Uh, we've been exploring Ephesians as we've been in the season of Lent, and I want to remind you that God has adopted us 
and that we have been predestined by God, or God has given us a predestination. God has decided uh, to invite us as God's children into the creative process of redeeming and remaking the world. We've talked about this. And we've been invited, we were reminded last week, to remember that the barriers of hostility that hold us back from one another have been broken down, and, and they're no more. And now we read uh, chapter 3, and it's an interesting thing when we read chapter 3 because here in this chapter we see that this is almost like a benediction. Paul says this, Now to, who, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It, it feels like at that point that you should be standing and you should be holding out your hands to receive this benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever dream. Now, if that's true, then my question is this. If God can do immeasurably more than all we could even ask or imagine, why doesn't God do this? So I've heard people talk about God stuff a lot. Uh, one person I, I know had cancer, and it went into remission, and she said, it's a God thing, and there was a lot of celebration. But I know another, and, and it, it, seemed, it seemed that God forgot about her. I've heard people claim that it was a God thing when they lost their keys or when they found a, and he helped them to find them or when God helped them to find a parking space co close to the store they were going to where God also helped them find shoes on sale. They say, oh, it was a God thing. And it makes me ask the question, what kind of business is God actually in anyway? I mean, is God really all about just helping people find parking spots or lost keys while God forgets about helping cancer patients? It's like God is this, this being that is outside of the world and he has this long white beard and he stands outside pulling levers and, and seeming to fall asleep at the switch. And you know, it, it could be worse because if he's not asleep, then he's just sinister because he hasn't done what we can imagine. A God like this is, is not something that I would really like to believe in. But, but Paul says it anyway. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever dream, according to his power that it is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ for all generations, amen and amen. Immeasurably more than I can imagine, I can imagine a lot. I've, I've prayed for a lot. It's like Paul comes to the end of chapter 3. He gives this benediction. We're just supposed to have a little bit of faith. And then he, he lands the plane at the end of chapter 3. It's like he says, that's a wrap. Paul seems to draw a conclusion, says a benediction, and then ends it with amen. And amen is how we finish our prayers, right? 
But I want to let you know that the earliest prayers that the earliest Christians prayed did not end with amen. They actually began with amen. People would pray and they would say amen, and then they would launch into their prayer. This is the way Jesus did it, amen and amen, and then he would begin to pray. When Paul gives this little benediction and then says amen, it is not the end. It's actually the beginning. This is the beginning because Paul then introduces us to an idea, a concept that does exceed our wildest imaginations. Now, most Christian people in their earliest days didn't see God as this old man with this long white beard. They didn't try to reason the existence of God, and they certainly didn't try to argue the existence of God. But when we read the biblical text, rather, we see time and time and time again, all of these people, they spent all of their time not trying to come up with whether God existed, but they simply talked about what God is like. They spent time describing God because to them, they collectively agreed that God, if they would ask the question, what is God like, they would say, well, God is unity. God is this unified being, so they would sing about God. But their singing wasn't just a reflection or response to this God. They said that they could, in fact, hear this God. And they found themselves in the rhythm and the pace and the tempo and the movement of this God. They said the tempo and the pace and the dynamics and the tone of this God was something that they claimed throughout generations that was wonderful, it was beautiful, it was, it was creative. In fact, when we read this text right here, it wasn't that Paul was just sitting at his desk, making it up, writing it down on a piece of paper. Some believe that Paul pulled this from an old song, like, like an ancient hymn that the early church sang in their worship It was like he said, hey, remember what you all sing together? And then he wrote these words. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and throughout all and even in all. Even before there was the Bible, there was this idea this belief, this this thing that went beyond somebody's wildest imagination. And so they confessed this creed, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, was not an old man in the sky falling asleep at the switch, but he was kind of like this beautiful, creative, Unifying song. Theologians call this song Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three persons, one God, perfect rhythm, perfect oneness, perfect community, God, and perfect harmony. 
It's like a dream beyond our wildest imaginations. God, the ancients said, was, was a song, but was also at the very same time the invitation to participate in the song, to be moved by the song, to dance and sway and feel the song. Trinity, it is the song giving a steady call, an invitation to participate into this this new idea, this, this energetically active life of God, to participate in the Trinity song, God, as God has revealed God's self to us, is this, this is what makes us particularly unique as a people. When God, the song, begins to play, you and I are not just spectators. There's always something that's reaching in and pulling us into the activity that is God. So how do we join in this song? How do we join in this movement? We're just a few weeks away from moving into this home, 8th Street Church. And like Pastor Nick said, are we ready for this move? I find it so interesting that 8th Street Church is on an intersection, a crossroads, 8th and Lee. Have we even thought about who came there first? Who these people were? Do we know why it's called Lee Avenue? Maybe the numbering of the system, or whatever the case may be. But that's not important. I don't want to focus too much on the names of the streets, um, though they are important, that way people know where we're at, right? But I I do want to invite you tonight to think about these people and wonder about this congregation that was there before us, that was there before we're stepping into there. First German Methodist Church. Like I've already mentioned, we even have planned, scheduled work days. This church, these people, they joined in God's rhythm and arrived to this intersection. Now, what led them there? a rather small building. I don't know how many of you have been there, but it is a lot smaller than here. I've even heard people say that we're going to be cozier. I like to be cozy. But up until 1907, so much was different. And here comes this group of people arriving to this place. And what did they do? They constructed a church in a city that was divided. For those of you who are not from Oklahoma, up until 1907, um, it was territory. Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory. And then they became a state. And here were this group of people, first German Methodist people. So what we can know just by their name is they were German. Definitely not Oklahoman or Indian. And yet they found themselves, foreigners, immigrants, strangers, at this crossroad, at this point of a city that was divided, 
Yet they chose to make every effort to be unified in spirit, the movement that God had given them to be here in the city. I believe that they longed for this so much that it didn't matter whether they knew how to move to the rhythm or not. They just wanted it to join in. To move so in sync with the rhythms of the spirit that the song leads you to uncomfortable places, that's hard. And Pastor Nick, he talked about that in his story today. But it's in those places where we find ourselves dwelling in the sacredness of the trying God. These places where all we see, feel, and hear is the song that lives in us and through us. And it is in this divine dance that there is no room for barriers, no room for lawlessness, no room for division. There is only unity. Here at our church, we've carved out three minutes that many of us can find ourselves being super anxious or super excited. Some days I'm a little bit of both. And we have real conversations with one another. We try to be welcoming. We want to be welcoming. We want to make room for others. We want to invite others into this divine dance and to join in the rhythm. But Paul tells us to be careful. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. What Paul is saying is that sometimes we lose the rhythm. And I don't know how many of you have ever just missed a step in a dance. You can often hurt people's feet. But Paul is warning us to not fall behind or get ahead of the beat. A few months ago, I I brought family with me to share in this experience of this new spiritual community. I prepared them about the three-minute drill and how there would be people in my church that would welcome them, how they would make room for them, and have real conversations with them. As I made my way to someone else for the three-minute drill, I noticed out the corner of my eye that there they stood with no one but each other. No one had made their way towards them. They stood waiting for three minutes to be welcomed, to feel invited. We missed a beat. When we miss a beat, it's painful. And we become stiff. But as we continue to practice with one another, our love for one another, and our love gives us the room and the space to grow in love. That's where the unifying body comes into play. It's easy to stop dancing in rhythm with the spirit. What does take every effort in our living bodies is to keep ourselves united to the spirit in this rhythm that causes us to confess unity. So how do we confess unity? Especially when barriers are holding us back. We confess unity in the same way that we answer to the calling that God has given us to join the rhythm of the movement of the triune God 
that led the first German Methodist church to make room for others. So, as Estelle said, unity in the spirit is not about pulling up our bootstraps or deciding together. We cannot create unity. The only thing we can do is confess it. Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite writers, and one of the things that he says is that in this world of constant and consistent, where there's a constant and consistent primal scream, where we are in a world in a constant state of lament, where there's horror and anguish, complexity and chaos, where there's a constant uh, bustling and battling of noise and disarray, and where the season of Lent is where we acknowledge our reality. We also find that as a church, we acknowledge that something is happening that we are being drawn into. We call this good news. And in the midst of this, our very real lives where we are being invited and drawn in and called and pulled into a song that is God and that we are all hearing together whereby God is making among us unity, peace. We extend to one another forgiveness and healing and reconciliation and love. This is what it means to be unified. We do not control this song. We can't create the song on our own. We didn't write it. We have no influence on its impact on the world. We can ruin it, and we just acknowledge that we can hear it. And somehow, maybe perhaps, it's impacting us. So let us join in. Let us fall into the rhythms of the song that we are hearing, and let us invite others to sing this song. So it is here, here where our unity lies. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the three persons, one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, exemplify and model this perfect oneness this perfect unity, and you and I are invited to participate. You and I, through his mangled body and his spilled out blood, because of this, the barriers of hostility that Paul talks about have been destroyed, and now we get to respond in love to one another. You know, I find it interesting that what happens at this table is called communion, It means that community is made here. I want to remind you that at dinner, Jesus took the bread and he broke it with a group of his friends and he gave thanks, a group that had a lot of division between them. And he said to them, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat, I want you to remember me. And then after dinner, he held up the cup and he said, this is the cup. It represents the new covenant that comes in my blood shed for you. And whenever you drink, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. In just a moment, Stella and I are going to invite you to this table. We would like to be the ones to serve you. We would like to be the ones to say, we welcome you to this table and we represent the unity that we long for that is God. 
Everybody is welcome to respond to this God at this table. Everyone is welcome to move to the beat of this rhythm. Everyone is welcome to hear and to be changed by what God, the divine song, is doing. And everyone is invited to this table to join our community. This is Jesus' table. And this is Jesus' community. And all who are open and open to this good work of God in Christ are welcome. We want no barriers. We make that plain as day. So we want to let you know that our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic. But come down the center aisle. Come down with your hands cup and allow us to say some things to you. I'd like to say some things to you as your pastor. And I will put the bread into your hands. And then you can hear from Stella and she will say some words to you. Listen to what she has to say. And know that you are joining the very rhythm of God. When you are ready, my friends, I invite you to come to this table.